Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Rob Jabaz. He's an animator and the writer and director behind the disturbing festival favorite, The Sadness. Um, we also hear that he's a self-proclaimed spicy boy. Welcome to the show. <laughs> That's me. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm happy to, to be here on the... Uh... Scarred for Life podcast. I I, uh, I actually take umbrage with the fact that, or with the, the statement that I that it's uh, self proclaimed. I've been called by many third parties <laughs> a spicy boy. Um, Apologies, he is a I professional it, spicy boy. I, that's absolutely true. I get paid good money to be spicy. <laughs> we like spice. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so let, let's take it back to the beginning, though. How did you get introduced to horror? Oh well, I mean, here's a good uh, here's a good sort of soundbite for you is that um, my birthday is on uh, Halloween. So oh. my earliest memories of, uh, you know, like Halloween are are sort of intertwined with uh, having all the attention and being kind of like, you know, the, the Halloween party being sort of my birthday party. And then at, during like the month of October leading up to Halloween, it's all the best movies are on TV. And like, I, I guess I'm associating it with me, you know, like sort of the countdown yeah. to, to my big day. And when I'd go trick or treating, like I'd always get like you know the the big like O Henry or whatever or the big. Do you guys have those in America, O Henry? Oh yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and then they give all the other kids just a little one and be like, it's it's Robert's birthday. He gets the big one, you know. So oh that's God. the way it would go down. Yeah, uh, in the neighborhood, you know, with the neighborhood kids. So I think that that did a lot. That went a long way towards making me just sort of enjoy horror and 
spookiness in general. I know some of my friends that were born around Christmas and they ended up hating it because they would get associated with Christmas. It sounds like that's kind of the opposite for you. Well, here's the thing is that um, uh, those friends really need to do a little bit of thinking because what's wrong with being associated with uh, our our Lord Jesus Christ, you know? <laughs> and and, and uh, I, I should also mention, like, here's, here's a good sort of uh, way to differentiate the two is that Halloween isn't necessarily thought as thought of as like a gift giving holiday whereas christmas oh, is so true. like so the halloween the halloween uh kid it gets gifts in addition to the candy whereas like the christmas kid just gets like the same amount of gifts as everyone else you know and uh therefore he just feels like he's getting he's getting uh uh, uh what's the word bamboozled you know bamboozled. on his gifts yeah i, I like that <laughs> yeah. i pretty much put that to rest for you i don't have to wonder <laughs> anymore <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Do you remember what your first horror movie was or your int- your first introduction to like the genre? I have a very vivid rep memory of watching uh, Predator with my father one time. Oh yeah. That that's that's like the first time I really uh it, it was this it was this like it, it definitely wasn't the first one, but that's just the one that I I feel like I was the youngest. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were we were in New Jersey, we were visiting my uncle and he was like um Predator was I, I think Predator might have just came out on you know, like on satellite or whatever, or on video. Okay. So I guess that might, that might've been like 88 or so. And yeah, I don't know. I just remember just sitting with my dad and kind of feeling like, like, yeah, I'm watching a movie I'm not supposed to be watching. And like, and it's all about like tough guys. And like, and I'm, I'm having sort of like a manly father and son experience here with these, and all these oiled up muscles on TV, you know, <laughs> fucking just loving life right now, you know, just feeling like I'm feeling like I'm uh, 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 becoming a man, you know, <laughs> I, I get that 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 urge or that feeling because uh, that was one of the things when I was a kid. You'd watch radar movies like, "Ooh, I'm watching something I shouldn't be watching." I'm more adult than the eight years old I was, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's my that. favorite because my parents were divorced, and my dad would show me movies that my mom would never let me watch. So I was like, "Ooh, don't tell mom. Yeah. I'm gonna get in trouble." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's like, he's like, uh, yeah, you know, you're. Your fucking mom wouldn't won't let you watch these fucking movies, will she? Will she? Yeah. Like she's she's <laughs> he's kind of trying to make it seem like you know his house is way more fun than, than your mom's house. Like that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that was our thing. Like horror was that. our thing, and like my mom ha- didn't hate it, but like did not like it. So it was like that was kind of the vibe. It was like your mom won't let you watch horror right. movies, but I will. And now yeah, here we are. That's, that happened when my parents got divorced. Uh, it was uh, they used to like. Well, you know, they used to like weaponize the children against each other, kind of like that too. Although yours, yours sounds a lot more lightweight. What? Oh, just oof! Like that's just bad. <laughs> that just sucks. Like I, yeah, I get that feeling. It's the worst. Ah, it's just. It, I mean, it's it's just what happens, you know. Like mm-hmm. it's it's just part and parcel with with the process. Um, it, it's it's best for us just to look back on it and laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try to laugh. Did um did horror movies scare you as a kid or or were you uh pretty immune to them? Oh, they scared the they scared the fucking shit out of me. I think is the best <laughs> okay. way to put it. Like um, I remember like I remember like just uh I don't know like uh, things like I remember getting really really worked over by the gate the the nineteen ninety seven oh. gate. Oh. Mm-hmm. I think maybe because it was because you could so clearly place yourself. In, in that scenario because it was about kids but it was sort of like grown-up sort of style horror and uh i really related to that metal kid like to that goofy uh metal kid named terry i believe was the name of the kid in that movie mm-hmm. and there's that part there's that part where he's like 
jumping up and down on his bed, air guitaring, and then <laughs> and then the, the part of the record comes on where it, where it's like in the ancient times, and he and he grabs like a cloak and puts it over yes. his, uh, and it's like that's that's just a little too little too close to me, like <laughs> that it's actually gets gets a little bit scary, you know, being kind of like like a little kid but kind of wanting to be into the occult was uh was something that uh, uh i could really relate to like I, I i desperately wanted to be like someone who had uh governance over over the occult <laughs> as a child because i thought it just would be cool to like raise a demon or something i think that ghoulies was also another one that oh that, yeah uh, not not that scared me but that that made me kind of like like if i just draw the right symbols on the ground maybe i can actually <laughs> make something happen you know I used to do that all the time as a kid. I had such an overactive imagination. I'd see something, a spell, or like I used to watch a lot of fantasy movies. And so I'd go there chanting the words, hoping that, you know, something crazy would happen. It, you know, I, the gate is is definitely one of those kind of gate gateway uh, horror for kids. But it was one that um, we, Mary Beth and I had never watched until last year for the podcast. And I it, I wish that I had had that memory of watching it as a kid because that's, it's such a wild, that's a wild movie. Yeah, it's, it's really like a lot better than, than it kind of needed to be as well. And and I guess maybe yeah. that's why it has such a long, how do you say, it? that's why it's so enduring, you know, why, mm -hmm. like, why people kind of today are still kind of being like, you know, yeah, you, the gate is still kind of on a lot of people's like whatever top 10 lists of sort of best movies to put on like around Halloween or whatever. Cause it's not mm. like a great, a really scary movie, but it's just a good, I, I believe that Halloween is actually the time when you should be watching sort of spooky movies, like fun, spooky movies. Yes. Whereas the rest of the year you should be watching like your Serbian films up shit. in your human centipedes and all that kind of shit. But uh, Halloween is time to sort of enjoy horror and to, and to get spooked out with your friends. I agree. I agree. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So I, kind of transitioning to, an, for being an, an adult, do you still get scared watching horror movies at all? Or are you as uh, immune to it as, as Mary no. Beth and I? No, I try to. I, I, I actively try to. That's the fun. Like, that's the mm -hmm. fun is to kind of suspend your disbelief and go in and, tr and try to get scared. Um, at, at the, I, I just saw The Night House the other day. I was in oh, Portugal. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't, I mean... It doesn't wrap up as nicely as I uh, would have liked, but um, the, the way yeah. the way getting there, like the the journey to get to that uh, uh, unsatisfying finale, there are some really good spook outs there, you know. And I was there really the is, and I was just kind of like, oh man, I'm spooked out. This is awesome. Like I I I love that. I love that feeling, and I, I try to surrender to the film because uh, th that's the fun. It's kind of like when you. Um, you know how like when you smoke weed and you and you get all like weird and paranoid sometimes? Yes. <clears throat> like yes. I I actually I actually really uh well maybe not so much anymore cuz I don't really smoke as much weed anymore, but when I was younger, I used to love that feeling. I used to love just that like like super out of control feeling and uh because uh, it just uh as long as like I mean usually like uh I if I was just by myself it wasn't fun, but if I was like with like uh one or two of my good friends and I guess that sort of nullifies the the weird paranoid feeling, but I guess it's just fun to get sort of paranoid with, with a bunch of other people or something. Cause it, it doesn't feel so bad. It takes the edge off, but that, yeah. that uncomfortable weed smoking paranoid feeling um, was usually why I was smoking weed. Like that's how I kind of wanted to get there because I thought it was uh, kind of funny uh, and, and kind of entertaining also because it, it's just so intense. And there's a lot of, uh, I don't know. I have a lot of good memories of getting super paranoid uh, smoking too much weed and stuff and and, and 
I, I don't know. I, I, I like to put myself in vulnerable situations uh, because, uh, rather, situations where I become vulnerable because uh, it, it's fun. It's that's 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 why you go on a roller coaster and all you can do is just trust the engineers who built it. You know, it's just kind of like, yeah. oh god, you know, I, I just have to try to get get through this. You know, endure this. I'm pretty sure that that's not going to take off my head, but let's let's try anyway. I always yeah. had that fear of like go, when you're going on a roller coaster and that you're like they make it so that you almost are like coming within like you know feet of of that thing, but it feels like so much closer. And I yeah, it's just got to trust, got to trust. Yeah. Absolutely. So, what draw what draws you to horror now as an adult? I mean, besides getting scared, like what about the genre draws you to keep watching it and also work in it? Uh, I don't know. I think that uh, it's just, um, I'm not really sure, actually, to be honest. Like, I yeah. i watch everything. Like, I watch, mm-hmm. I watch like, every movie that comes out. I'll, I'll try to watch it. Wow. Um, but I, uh, and, and, and I, and I go, you know, I go back. Like, I, I really like, uh, I really like, um, uh, what do you call that? Like, a lot, like, sort of 70s, like, uh, 70s sort of, like, crime espionage like like you know like oh. marathon man and marathon mm-hmm. man, marathon man and um <laughs> you know like the, the old sort of non-exorcist william friedkin movies like mm-hmm. uh, french connection mm-hmm. and, um uh like i mean a little bit later in the 80s is to live and die in la which is like just such a underrated awesome movie and um all the all the uh, francis Ford coppola stuff and I mean, like, I love that. That stuff's not, like, obscure or anything, but that, that kind of stuff, I just think, like, that 70s sort of crime period, I think, is just amazing. But as far as, like, horror is concerned, I'm not really sure. I, I think it's just, like, I just, I, I guess maybe I just like the craft of a lot of it. Like, yeah. um, I I like, I really like special effects. I really like gore. <laughs> I really like, um, uh, what do I like? I like uh, sort of the creativity that comes in uh uh with creature design i just like the i guess the craft of it like i'm a you know i before filmmaking and before anything else i was a an art like a a drawer right like i I, and i used to draw lots of monsters and comics and stuff like that and read read lots of read tons of comics and just you know that kind of stuff i i guess it's just one of those things like i just always maybe it comes all the way back from the first thing from the halloween being, being kind of uh, associating Halloween with sort of warmth and familial love is yeah. kind of what, what, you know, you, you just kind of, some people stop drawing pictures as they get older and some people just keep doing it. And I guess I'm one of those people who just kept doing it, except I happen to be drawing monsters and chainsaw, like chainsaw attacks and stuff, you know? Hell yeah. I guess that's it. You know, I guess I'm just kind of afraid to grow up and I'm just sort of hiding in a, in a sort of perpetual infancy. And uh, it probably has a lot to do with, uh, you know, uh, repressed feelings about my mother or and father or something you know yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> um okay so i know you watch a lot of a lot of horror movies like you just said so what what were some of the what are some of the ones that you've seen recently that like really wowed you oh uh, well i mean i don't know if it counts but titan oh yeah that certainly counts oh i can't wait to see it i cannot wait i feel like i'm the last it's person so good. to fucking see that movie i was really um i, I won't spoil it for you uh mary but um, I I will say that I was like really really surprised and also like really impressed and also to some degree relieved uh, that about how sort of sweet and uh, sort of about unconditional love it actually is you know mm-hmm. like the whole mm-hmm. the message of the movie is just about like absolute acceptance and and absolute sort of 
uh, forgiveness and and love coming from a place that you wouldn't expect. And it's just like, yep. uh, what a what a sweet, sweet, deeply uh, emotional movie this is. Kind of surrounded, like clad in in spiky black metal armor or something. You know, like that is the it, perfect I, descriptor for it. Got it. Nailed it. So, um, so yeah, I I loved that movie. Although I wouldn't really call it a it has elements of like horror in it, but really I just call it sort of like uh, nothing really. I'd, I'd say that it's, it's genre agnostic. Uh, maybe mm. it, the only way you can say it is sort of like a, maybe a, a drama with um, sort of genre garnishes upon it, I suppose. But, yeah. um, that, that, so like, let's talk about real horror. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Like, wh- why don't you, why don't you, uh, Terry, why don't you go ahead and, and, and say one and then maybe I'll think <laughs> of one as we're talking. Um, Gosh, well, I, I'll, I'll *Malignant*. I loved *Malignant*. I never saw it. It's it's uh, so James Wan's movie. It's so just batshit bonkers and just goes for broke. And it's it's deliciously gory and wild, and you never know where it's gonna go. And it's it's just it surprised the hell out of me. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, maybe I'll I'll check that one out. I uh, I I haven't really been able to. I've only been able to see like these like festival movies mm-hmm. because because I don't I don't have. Uh, like in, I'm I'm from Taiwan, so I don't I don't have like Amazon Prime and stuff. I have Netflix, but there's like nothing on Netflix. Um, and uh, yeah, I got I got I got to get to. I guess I need to make some time to go to a theater or something and see uh, see a malignant. But um, yeah, well, I, I, does does because you're in Canada right now, right? Mm-hmm. Does Canada have HBO uh, Max? Yeah, like probably. Yeah, they do because it's on there. It's streaming on HBO Max right now. Yeah, it's just that like I'm I'm staying at my mom's right now, and she just oh, yeah. has Netflix, and that's it. And I'm, mm. I'm like I'm not trying to fucking get all these like subscriptions and, like, <laughs> yeah, and then gotcha. canceling them. Yeah, you know? Blood Red Blood Red Sky is pretty good. It's on Netflix. Oh. You know, okay, let's talk about that for a second. I actually, I actually was so disappointed in that movie. Because, really? Okay. Um, and I'll tell you why. So, uh, whatever, spoilers, etc. The the part, you know how like there's like that psycho guy, like the bad guy who's like, I enjoy killing people. You know, and he's like, he's yes. like, he puts his knife into the guy's eye and everything. He's actually scarier before he becomes a vampire because yes. like, when he becomes a vampire, he just loses all of his. And this is this actually relates very much to like the, the my film, The Sadness, is that. What makes uh, a, a, an antagonist scary er is um, uh, intention and and malice and like you know I am doing this and I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm fully aware of what I'm doing and also you know what it actually makes my dick a little hard to to hurt you this way you know like that that thought process is actually the scariest thing whereas when he when that guy becomes a vampire he just turns into like a snarling animal and and all of a sudden he's it's not as scary anymore. So I was just like, wow, like what a missed opportunity there. You know, it, it, like you could have just had this guy, maybe all of the other guys kind of become like animals, but he's just, he becomes himself, you know, like mm. he, he, he just becomes this super, like supercharged, like killer guy, you know, that, that would have been, uh, I think the, the better way to do it. That's the way I would have done it. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah. But in any case, uh, uh, yeah, like, I mean, that, that there are def- I definitely enjoyed kind of like how, how snappy that movie moved along, but then it kind of, I guess it kind of lost its engine uh, maybe around the time when it got too vampire-y. I really like, I, I, well, I, okay. I, I enjoyed very much. And I think it, it was a very a creative film of uh, this movie censor. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, censor's so good. I love censor. Yeah. I like, I just liked how um, 
I forget her name. Her name's like uh, Prado uh, Bailey Bond. Right, right, right. Yeah, I just you know it's I I just I just sent her a, a message the other day. And I was just like, hey, we're both award-winning directors now. Uh, I figured we have enough in common that we can start talking. She's like, aha. Uh, and so uh, uh, she's 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 going to be at Sitges as well. I'm going to Sitges this weekend. And um, hopefully I'll be able to meet her and we can shoot the shit about some more movies and stuff too. But the thing is, is um, I, I really like, I really, really liked the first 40 minutes of that film. Like I thought, like the rest of it is, is good too, but I, but I was particularly impressed by the first 40. Like the way that she gets like sort of British like sort of bureaucratic environments mm, and, like, mm-hmm. and the, the the costume design and, yeah. and sort of the, the the sort of oppressiveness of and it reflects upon sort of the stuffiness of this character and also really really good uh really good um like sort of consideration about like sort of when to keep the camera still and when to move it and stuff and just really really good sort of filmmaking sort of stuff like that she's a very very talented director did you know that she's going to be um working with the with the producer of call me by your name to do um, an adaption of, um, of uh, I think it's called Things We Lost in the Fire. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's it. That, yeah, that was just announced a little while ago, like in a Variety or some fucking bullshit entertainment magazine. But um, I miss that. That's yeah, awesome. So, yeah, she's she's going places. Uh, you know, cheers to her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so you did bring up sad, the sadness, and I know that you're probably tired of talking about that film. Uh, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about what what it's about? Well, it's just about a virus that changes uh, people into um, like homicidal sex perverts. Yeah, that, that is pretty much the movie. Like that. Yeah, watching it in the sort of COVIDness that we are in, I one of the questions I've been dying to ask you, and I, I, you probably have answered this before is when did you guys film this and were you writing it with COVID in mind or is this sort of like a happy, happy, unhappy happenstance? Um, No, uh, we, it it was written in like, you know, maybe like the end of April to like, maybe, yeah, maybe like the end of April towards like the middle of May of last year, 2020. Mm. So like pandemic was, was absolutely going on. In fact, the reason why we got greenlit, well, why I got greenlit was because of uh, COVID because my financial was just like, we need to make a movie right now. We need to do it right now because Taiwan's open and, and every, everywhere else is closed. So um, if we make a movie, then we're not going to have any competition. And I was just like, okay. And then um, he just had this idea too of um, let's just make it about a pandemic. And I was like, mm. um, and, but he had a really sort of goofy idea about like, um, you know, we, like we need to, it's going to be about this like doctor, but he's like, you know, a, the best doctor in the world. And, he needs to find patient zero and all this stuff. And I was just like, I don't want to do that. That sounds stupid. So then uh, I just kind of was like, why don't we just make it like a zombie movie? But instead of zombies, they're homicidal sex perverts. And then, and then he goes, um, he's like, okay, well, whatever, just write something and, and whatever. So I wrote him the, I wrote the script. And then I think that there was like, luckily because there was such a fire under our asses to, uh, to get the thing done. He just didn't like care that much. Like he was just like, okay. look, we, we could spend, we could spend two months kind of fixing this trip, but how much better is it going to be? 10%, you know, 15% better after two months, or we could just do it now. And I was like, just let's do it now. And like, we'll sort of fix it as we go. Like the, the storyboard process will be kind of like the second draft or, or the third draft rather. And then, and then the actual movie itself will kind of be like the fourth draft because we'll keep everything kind of, uh, kind of open and, and sort of fluid allowing for better ideas to come in and and we wrote we wrote like a new ending like the ending of the film is is something that kind of came up came down the pike uh 
during production. And uh, it was pretty, a pretty wild and weird production that just kind of, you know, I mean, from the time that I put pen to paper, it was like, well, let's just say like May. And then it's like, you know, May, June, July, June, July is like pre-production. August, we shot it like in 28 wow. days. And wow. then we did the, um, the, all the post and like special effects and editing and stuff over like um, September, October, and November and the, and the sound as well. And then December, we just kind of like, you know, took a nap and then we released it in uh, January. Holy shit. That's, yeah. that's insane. That is an insane timeline. Yeah. I think that that's just the way movies should get made. You know, I don't know about all this bullshit. Like I hear people working on something for five years. I'm just like, whatever. Rip that bandaid off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, get up, take a shit or get off the pot, you know? <laughs> you talked about a lot about love and gore and special effects and practical effects, yeah. which this movie has, uh, obviously, in spades. So I just wanted to hear more about, like, what the process was to make all of these horrible things come to life. And, like, like that collaboration in working with, like, your effects department to make these, like, sex-crazed maniacs as deplorable as possible. Um, well, I guess we just... Uh, tried to think like of the worst, the worst thing, like the worst things that we could think of, like the worst things to do to people that we could think of. And, and it, it kind of opens up this door. Like uh, it's almost like playing like some sort of like um, uh, sit around in a circle in junior high kind of game or something, you know, like what's the worst thing that you, like, if you had to kill someone, if somebody killed your whole family, then what, you know what I mean? Like, then what would you do to them? You know? And then, and uh, it, that's probably actually even how the, the human centipede, uh, the plot for the human centipede got started, you know? Like, I think that that actually is the story. Um, regardless. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I, I guess you want to know more about sort of the special effects and, I, you know, we just, just kind of, I just sort of sat around and kind of came up with interesting ways to kind of, you know, kill people on screen and, and different sort of maimings and, and, uh, uh, tortures and things like this and and um i i was thinking like i kept in mind like sort of the uh uh we have to keep kind of the rhythm and tempo of the film going and like we can only have so many things that are like this and then and then right around this time i feel like maybe the audience will kind of think that they know what's going on so we'll we'll turn it and we'll and then all of a sudden they'll like this will happen and like and it's like oh my god they're 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 fucking that guy what the you know what i mean like oh my god and then and then uh, later on, it's like, okay, well, how can, where can this go from here? And then it's like, okay, well, we can go this way, this way, and this way. And, or, or we just, or there's no, maybe one just goes and there's no release from it for like a while. And it's just like, when is this going to end? What the fuck? And then, so it's just all about kind of, I mean, all you're making with, when you're making a movie, I guess, I guess my, from my perspective, all you're doing is just trying to come up with a bunch of um, sort of emotions. And then you're just trying to kind of chain them together to, to create an experience, like an experience over a period of time, right? So yeah. I, you just want it to not be boring. Your movie is anything but boring. That is for fucking sure. Thank you, darling. <laughs> I, I wanted to say that, um, uh, uh, yeah, like, I mean, uh, uh, it, it was really just a, a matter of coming up with all that stuff. And then after I went to uh, uh, IFF, IF, SFX Artmaker, which is the, the studio that, that did all of our uh, physical effects and uh, I just sat with them and I showed them my drawings and we just kind of worked out how to do them together. And I kind of was like, well, I want the camera to be uh, over on this side. So we have to put a tube over here or if, if it's going to be on this side then we have to run a tube, but we'll, we'll 
mark, put markers on it so we can remove it digitally yeah. later and stuff. And so just a lot of planning. And uh, like uh, that's the thing um, with independent filmmaking. It's like if you plan a lot of it, in some ways it helps because um, because uh, you know you you waste you waste theoretically you waste less time. But mm-hmm. but conversely, if you plan too much. Another thing too is that in, with independent filmmaking is that stuff tends to go wrong. You don't have more time to fix right. it. So, so planning stuff can actually be bad because it doesn't allow you for like the, it doesn't allow for the flexibility of kind of thinking on your feet. So there has to just like everything else in life, you have you, there's no rules. You have to just kind of be able to kind of balance between sort of stick with the plan and and think on your feet. You know, C- kind of continuing with the, with the uh, the effects. I have I have two questions in particular about the blood. How much did you do? You know how much you went through, and <laughs> how did you get it to look as gnarly as it did? Because I I love blood effects, and the blood in this movie is so vivid and just fucking gnarly. Well, you can chalk that one up to um, to a, a lovely uh, South African man uh, named Paul Han- Hanrahan, who was our colorist. Uh, he, he's a he's a fellow who works in uh, in Taiwan. Um, he's been living there, I believe, since. Um, I don't know, maybe 2009 or something. But he, he works at a at a at a post stu- a post place, and and we just got in touch with him. And uh, you know, he he's actually the one who really, um, uh, you know, the, the the blood itself looked pretty good. But I'd say that the way that it looks in the final version of the film, like that that rich, yeah, uh, bright, just kind of like you know, really the blood that makes you salivate. Uh, it um it's all because of him, his, his color, his color work. Although that, that is to say that, you know, that's, uh, I'm not being fair in, in saying that it wasn't also the special effects team. Like the, they, they have to develop like the right uh, consistency and the right opacity of the blood. That consistency. As, like, right. As far as the chroma is concerned, uh, I, I definitely give, give a lot of, uh, give a lot of um, credit to, to Paul for, for um, coloring it because when it, when it, sh- when it goes on your clothing too, it tends to kind of look cool lady. And he was able to kind of mm. um, do, do some, do some, do some tricks to sort of keep that sort of uh, realistic uh, blood look, even when it is sort of looking a bit cool lady. That's amazing. Maybe if you, if you can, what, what kind of moment or set piece were you most proud of being able to, to, um, to pull off in the film? Cause there's quite a few of like really intense, set pieces and moments of violence so i'm just curious which one you were the most excited that you were able to get on camera well to be honest like you know my favorite moment in the film is actually the the finale when when regina or regina lay the uh the uh cat character when she kind of has you know when when the line is delivered the the sort of the the pull the rug out from under you line and uh, and she gives sort of her performance at the end i I don't Mm -hmm. want to spoil it but um, mm-hmm. yeah. when she gives that sort of that finale performance, I, I, that is actually like my favorite, uh, that was my favorite part to shoot because um, it, it, I was just so uh, proud of her for, for being able to nail it like that because um, she's, she's not a, she's not a terribly experienced actress and she's also kind of young. And also um, if you, if you met her, you'd see she's kind of, she's sort of just like a, for lack of a better word, sort of naive. And, and she really, she, she's not, she's kind of, really comes up from a from a place of like of just commercials and and maybe some tv dramas and she, uh i she's not like a this kind of she's not like the actress in like titan let's put it that way you know what i'm saying right. um right so seeing her kind of dig deep and, and really give something uh 
give something meaningful what was uh really really uh uh nice nice to see and really kind of like uh uh, rewarding, I guess, from a the, the perspective of a director, uh, but but also uh, the uh, the whole train scene from like the, mm. the moment that it starts to the to the part where he sticks his tongue through the grate. Mm. I like how just I like how just unrelenting that that maybe maybe seven minute sequences. Like I I but that that really is more about like it's not so much about the shoot. It's more about just because it's different locations and different days. But I like how that that just all works together as one thing. Right. I think that's probably the uh, the highlight of the movie for most people. Um, and yeah, that's that's maybe you know from that perspective, I I like that part. But I but I really my my fondest memory of the film was the, was the day that we shot uh, the finale with Regina. She does put out a very good performance. She goes through a lot of shit in this movie, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, that that performance. I'm glad you mentioned that because that at the very end was very it was a very affecting moment for me mm-hmm. as this sort of like that that kind of like sadistic sad cherry on the top of <laughs> the disturbingness i should also mention too i mean like uh the uh chen ingru the uh the character the actress who played molly in the film uh mm. she, you know <laughs> a lot of shit mm. went down like happened to her too like she had to roll around uh you know with one eye covered pretty much mm-hmm. like, the whole the whole duration of the of the shoot almost all of it and uh um, I really believe that she, you know, like the, the big, the big scene, the scene that everybody was going to be talking about after they see the film. Um, I really believe that that, uh, that scene, uh, was, was sort of in a way like a really, <laughs> a really magical scene to shoot because, um, it was really just like just giving two committed actors, uh, sort of permission just to kind of do this, just do this scene and kind of no rehearsal, just kind of figure it out. Um, yeah. I, I think that that scene was also kind of like a, cause that, that was a day when, when everybody was really uncertain about how it was going to go down. Like that just kind of went down the way it did. And uh, wow. you get, you, cause you don't, you want, you want sort of the, the pain and the humiliation and the, and the uh, outrage and the, and the fear to just kind of be summoned naturally, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I think that um, uh, Wong Sichang and Ingrid uh, were just awesome with uh, bringing that scene to life and really just making it just unforgettably vile. Uh, and, and, and 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 at the end of the day, I mean, it that's that's what uh, that's what people are talking about, and maybe that's even some of the reason why people are are loving the film so much because it's kind of you know going to those kinds of extremely dark places. You don't get to see that very often anymore. No, you sure don't. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I was drawn. I, lo- I love extreme horror, and I love extremely well-made extreme horror, and yours is a great example of that. It's just like, horror that's so fucked up, you're like, why am I watching this? But you can't stop, because it's so compelling. And you're like, what's wrong with me? And I should take a shower, but it's also really fucking good. So, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no problem. I'm I'm really happy to hear you guys uh, to hear you guys tell me that uh, you enjoyed it because um, you know I uh, I think it's I I like it too you know and so I'm I, I really just I just tried to make something that I thought like this is what I would want to see if if I you know if I put on a, a, the newest horror movie that's supposed to be the the coolest horror movie of the year like this is kind of what I would want to, to see something 
like this. Well, when we saw it at Fantasia, you know, they, they put all the warnings in front of it. Like, you know, this is, you know, this is extreme. This comes with all the, the trigger warnings. So you start to like watch and you're like, okay, but is it going to really, you know, embrace that and kind of deliver on that? And I just remember watching most of this movie with my like mouth agape that I was like, is this, is this really happening? And that, like you said, you don't really get to see that a lot in, in movies now. I mean, I think most independent filmmaking tends to be on the more, you know, slower side or the more, um, you know, slow creeping dread. And Elevated, so it was quite, as they say, uh, that label. So it was quite entertaining to watch something that was like going to just splash everything in red. And I think that's yeah. probably why people are, are, uh, you know, talking about it a lot. Did you see the text between yeah. Terry and me when I started watching it? Cause Terry had watched <laughs> yeah. it and I hadn't yet. And I was just texting him. Like my reactions were just like, what? It was incredible. I watched it like one in the morning, pitch black by myself with my headphones on too. I was like, this will be oh, fine. Man. It won't be that bad. <laughs> It's like a oh, Thursday. Copy paste. Why did I do that? Copy paste that to me. I want to do that. Yes. <laughs> I'll like, find them because it's a lot of all caps. Like, what the fuck is happening? This is it was a lot yeah. of that. <laughs> I I'd appreciate it. That, that that's the kind of stuff that uh that's the kind of stuff that uh that I really love to read, you know. That that's what makes it all worthwhile, you know? <laughs> well, we'll try going back and digging through a text and send gonna, it to yeah. you because it was it was wild. Um yeah. but we've talked about the sadness and we've talked about, you know, your career in horror and your love of horror. But Rob, what movie did you bring with you to discuss today? Well, I wanted to talk about uh The Fly, uh the, the nineteen eighty six uh, David Cronenberg film starring Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum. Yes, you did. So for those of you unfamiliar, The Fly is about a brilliant but eccentric scientist who begins to transform into a giant man-fly hybrid, man-fly, man-fly hybrid, after one of his experiments goes horribly wrong. Okay, so I got to know, how old were you when you saw this, Rob? How did you see it? What were your thoughts? I, w- I need to know your horror story about this movie. I, I grew up in Toronto, in okay. Canada, and uh uh, there's actually a, a TV station, there used to be a TV station here called uh, City TV. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that maybe it's still around. I'm not really even sure. I, like, I haven't turned on the TV. Like, I haven't turned on the TV since I got back. Back when I was a kid, it was it was this independent sort of Toronto-centric network. You know what? It's actually the inspiration for um, the, the TV station and Videodrome. Like, like, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I think I think it might be called like Metro TV or whatever, and it's like in, in Videodrome, but um, it's it's based on uh, on City TV in Canada, like just sort of this uh, small sort of it's a local network, but it it sort of is trying to compete with like the big the big networks, like the big three. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, they have to be a little spicy sometimes. Like, <laughs> and um, and the thing is, is um, the thing is with uh, uh, with City TV is they would show movies like unrated, you know, so they'd show like oh wow they show like um final analysis and you get to see like kim basinger's boobs or something like after nine o'clock and, and it would just be like you'd be like holy shit you know like because this is <laughs> this is awesome this is canada you know like thank thank god thank god i live in, in, a, in a free country where i can watch uh, final analysis uh, on, <laughs> on on regular basic cable but um they they used to show the fly quite a lot and um i just i remember being like a a little little boy and uh watching the the arm wrestling scene and, oh, yeah. uh, and, and the part where, where Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum, uh, breaks, breaks that dude's arm, uh, breaks his, his, uh, what do we call that? Tibular or whatever that bone's called. And, um, uh, just like, just being so terrified by that. Cause it's just like, you turn it on and it's like, Oh, two guys are arm wrestling. Cool. 
and then it's like the arm breaks and, he, and it's it's really just like just oh, holy shit and then you just and then i just turn it off and then i was just like Ugh. and i like you know and then my parents were like you know like robert what's wrong with you and i was just like nothing nothing and i just it, it was one of those things where it's like it's bothering you for like a whole week and then uh and you're just thinking about it and like and like just because you, you just saw this horror for some reason i don't know what it was but there was just something absolutely horrific about that that scene and then and I didn't even know what the hell the movie was either. Like it, it was until like years later that I saw it again on TV. Yeah, and then and then I then I just watched the whole movie from from beginning to end, and I mostly was just fixated on the uh, the gore, the the yeah, you know, because you're you're watching it and you're kind of like oh oh weird cool, and then you're like oh damn, it's that arm wrestling scene. It's that oh shit, wrestling it's, scene. It's, this is the one, you know. And then and then after that, uh, he's you know he starts. Uh, you know, pulling off his fingernails and there's like juice coming out of the fingernails and Ugh. his ears, his ears are falling off. And, and then before you know it, he has his penis uh, in a medicine cabinet. That was yeah, his penis. That was his a, penis. Okay. I was <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it sure <Yeah>. was. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then before you know it, there's this weird, this weird sort of herky jerky puppet, uh, trying to drag Gina Davis into, a into one of those telepods and, uh, and uh, and then the movie ends, you know. And but uh, so that that's basically my experience. Because like, you, as a child, you're as a child who likes sort of horror movies. Because here's another thing too: is that when I was a kid, like horror movies were like a lot more fashionable. Like, like that's what we would talk about when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Like we talk about Jason movies and stuff. Like that was right. Then Freddy and stuff. Like those were like the things that were cool. I don't know what kids like these days. Maybe like uh, I don't know, like. Twitch streamers or something. That's what they talk about in school. You, YouTube. My brother is nineteen. Um, he likes true crime YouTube videos and other weird shit on YouTube. It's all YouTube. <clears throat> wow. And video games. Even that seems kind of like that seems kind of like even kind of old, kind of long in the tooth. You know, I'm, I'm talking about like kids who are like kind of like ten and eight now. Like, I mean, are they talking about just like like they're talking about Twitch streams and like TikTok yeah. and stuff, aren't they? Probably oh, like TikToks are like, are like, oh, they're probably just like, oh, TikTok, whatever, grandpa, they're into some shit that we know we haven't even. Yeah, I know, yet. right? Like, I'm like, look at my TikTok. I'm like, fuck you. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm trying yeah. so hard yeah. to say cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just stop. Don't, don't, just give it, give it a rest. You know, I, I, I stopped long ago, trying to be cool. Um, but um, uh, anyways, the, the, all I'm trying to say is that like I fixated on the gore of the fly. Like, mm-hmm. That's what I, that's where I thought the value was. Like I thought the value was like in how gross this movie was. Uh, and, and it wasn't until later, much later in life, like I'm talking like in my late twenties that I realized like how like magnificent of a film it is. Like, how, like from when I'm looking at it with sort of filmmaker eyes, uh, I'm just like, this is, this is maybe my, this is maybe my favorite film, you know, like, like, maybe of all time uh so so not only are, have i chosen like a film that I, that I that spooked me when i was a child i'm also we're also talking about one that i believe is like my favorite film of all time i love that because um, I, I i saw this probably it came out in what 80 86 mm-hmm. i probably saw it when i was like nine or ten uh i am it's sort of in that kind of age of like i don't know exactly when i saw it i know that it was it was not before eight because my I saw my first I remember seeing my first R rated movie when I was eight and it wasn't this so I remember it was sometime in that in that time frame but I was like just entranced at the special effects and the gore I remember not understanding a lot of what was going on in it with like the birth sequence and the giant maggot that gets pulled out of her or like you know that that dream thing or like any of the sort of abortion or the sexual aspects of it. 
didn't understand, but I I knew that it was gnarly as fuck and it was gross and it was just body parts falling apart. It was just disgusting. And it also kind of taught me about how flies eat, which I never really expected. And from there on, I've been kind of disgusted whenever I see flies because I think that fly, if it's on anything, it's probably vomited on my food I'm about ready to eat and I'm going to be eating fly vomit. Mm. So that has stuck with me ever since I was a little kid. Honey is is just uh, bee vomit, right? I know. Yeah. I, I mean, didn't realize that till much later in life, and I'm so thankful that I didn't. Because I have a weird revulsion with with when I learn about facts about food, and then not wanting to ever eat it. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of glad I learned about that later. Yeah, you gotta you gotta just sort of turn off that part of your brain and just just uh, you know clean your plate. Uh, <laughs> wait, so this was your first time watching it, though, Mary Beth, right? It was my first. Oh, yeah. oh it's so amazing, I, Mary Beth. I, I envy you so much. I envy I envy you. Uh, so much because you got to experience the fly uh, for the very first time. I'd actually, I'm actually more interested to hear you speak than, than I am to hear my own stupid voice. Um, well, okay, I loved it. Is we'll start off with that. I'm, I so I did not know a lot about the fly because I've wanted to see it. I never, it just never happened. But I never really looked into the fly because I didn't want to know. Like I wanted to kind of be surprised about. I knew what it was about. Like I knew man turns into fly. Like pretty straightforward that way. I don't think I understood mm-hmm. how sad it was going to be and how yeah, much know, of a right? love story it is. It's such an amazing love story. It's an amazing love story. And I've heard about that, but I just didn't expect to be as emotionally affected about a story about a man falling apart into a fly as I was. Some of the best films I believe like ever made uh, are, are uh, you, you take a, a completely completely ridiculous idea but you treat it with with sort of this uh like never-ending respect and, yeah and, you, and then you and you kind of do it in earnest and and really try to sort of just make something amazing and well and i think that's what i love about cronenberg's movies is because like the ideas are so outlandish and you know he's really good at body horror so i feel like a lot of the times i'm expecting these like crazy gonzo stories that are actually really emotionally affecting like i was thinking about dead ringers a lot watching this movie um and you know these stories that cronenberg is able to tell with these like nasty circumstances but really is like getting to the core about like being a person and like being a scientist he has, like again with dead ringers and with this but like being a scientist or a doctor and like that kind of madness almost that i feel like comes into play and like playing that up a lot especially with the fly but i just didn't expect to feel so heartbroken watching and so mm, sad yeah. and just it's it's incredibly well made and the ending is just i was eating while i was watching it too which was a really bad idea like <laughs> i knew it was gonna be a bad idea but like i didn't truly know how bad of an idea it was until he squeezed his finger and like kind of popped like a zit yeah. and i went <laughs> and put my food down i was like no no cannot do this bad idea and i usually like don't get that grossed out as grossed out but like i think just the combination of that and like what i was eating like taco meat so like it kind of was like not the best thing to be eating while watching the fly Mm -hmm. so yep it it was an incredible experience i will say that and i'm sad i waited so long to see it but i'm also glad i watched it now where i think i could have a better appreciation of it i think there's a lot about a lot of the movies that i've missed because I have a lot of like older horror movie blind spots, 
So, but it's really cool to watch these now and I can really appreciate them for what they are and like appreciate every aspect. Like I was so fixed on the score of this film too by Howard Shore. That's dumb. Howard Shore. The score to me in this movie was like, again, it could have just been like big and crazy and like, you know, I could just hear in my head the ways a fly, like the fly motif could have been incorporated in like very obvious ways. But I think, again, the score is very understated and when it needs to be. Like, especially, there's the part. Oh, yeah. There's the part. I wrote it down. I'm so sorry. I need to pull it up. I can't remember. But it's like, it's when. The steak. The steak, yes. Like, when he's like, she's talking about the flesh and like the, the power of the flesh. And when he's cutting up the steak to put into the teleporter. And it's like this very, like, kind of quiet flute music that isn't like, it's just, it feels very contemplative, but very hopeful. And very kind of mm-hmm. like, but also like hesitantly hopeful. And it was not the kind of, again, not the kind of score I was expecting, but it really adds to this kind of like the joy at the beginning of this film between the two of them is like they're venturing into this like scientific experiment together. Or like she's kind of joining yeah. him at the tail end because he's, he's done all the work really. But like they're embarking <laughs> upon this together. And it's like this, I don't know, it's like flirty and sweet and like, okay, this is really a cool dynamic between the two of them only for it to be kind of completely decomposing by the end. And I just, I love the way that that dynamic is created, not just with the story and the characters and the acting, but with that score as well. It just, I love it when music in a film can add so much to what's going on on screen. It's, it's, I've always said it's, it's 51% of of a film is the the score, Mm -hmm. the sound. But um, that, what's what's also cool about the the, the Howard score, sorry Howard Howard Stern, the Howard Shore uh, <laughs> soundtrack of, of the Fly is um, how like it starts. It's it's with a black screen. You put on the film and it starts with a black screen. It just goes like bah, bah. like there's kind of this this like crazy overture like in the beginning. Yes. Like it's, it's almost like an old school move, like an old school film. Like yes. where it's like um, it's like uh, uh, you go and like it's the kind of movie you go to go see and you you actually put on your nice clothes and there's like a world it's an organ in the, in the lobby and everything else and it starts in that classic way with uh with the big overture and then the movie starts um kind of like how, how 2001 starts and also the, yeah. the the overture at the very very end like the the, yeah. the death of uh of, of brundlefly um just that just in, amazing like just unrelenting horns and and strings just blasting and just and it's just like the most intense thing in the world and then it just ends on that fade yeah. to black and then you know deal with that audience here's some fucking credits for you <laughs> here's your fucking credits yeah you know yeah. it's interesting because uh because beer beth you you talked about the sort of like kind of almost playful kind of hopeful type music and then there's also the bombast it actually watching it now as an adult it reminded me of the universal horror monsters mm-hmm. it reminded me of sort of like the sort of bombastic either like hammer horror or like the universal horror that you would get to with like those kind of iconic monsters. And it kind of felt to me like Cronenberg was sort of creating a new modern day in the eighties version of those, of those films. And the story itself is as majestically tragic as a lot of the uh, universal monster movies are for me. Like I was watching this as like, yeah, you could kind of see this sort of Frankenstein or Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde aspect to his story where he's both, you know, the, the creator and the creation in a, in effect. And, I think the score really plays into that a whole lot and it can be just as quiet and hopeful as it wants to be, but then turn around and be just blaring bombast and melodrama. And I just, I love it so much. I'd like to talk a little bit about the, um, like the romance because mm-hmm. that actually upon uh, viewing as, as an adult, that's what it really kind of took, like, you know, took me because it starts out 
Jeff Goldblum is kind of like this sort of weak, uh, kind of boyish, uh, kind of bookish nerd kind of kind of guy who is who's a little bit um, socially challenged. He doesn't mm-hmm. really know how to talk to people properly, but he's also just incredibly charming and also incredibly um, just innately sweet, you know, and and just irresistible kind of to, to this strong uh, sort of like like mid eighties style feminist uh woman mm-hmm. you know and um <clears throat> and uh she kind of puts him in his place early on in the beginning you know and she actually tries to fuck him over too she tries to steal his uh steal the idea or whatever like you know like yep. you know you you told a reporter fuck you you know i'm a i'm a journalist what, what did you think this was you know did you think we were gonna fall in love or are we in love right now like kind of she's kind <laughs> of being like almost like almost cruel to him and yeah. uh and then uh and then she goes back to her uh, St- Stathis, the, uh, the the editor, mm-hmm. the editor slash former lover, who who's the who's the who's framed this, and I, this is my maybe the best part. Well, not the best part, but maybe the most like surprising part of the film is is he's framed as like this scumbag, and mm-hmm. and he's 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 in her apartment showering, and he's just like, what if we just fuck once in a while? Like he's he's just like a creep, you know. And then, anyways, as, as time goes on, they start to fall in love. Uh, Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis start to fall in love, and. And she, you really start to see her soften towards him, and, and and start to like, almost. There's this relief that happens with her where she can kind of drop the armor, and she can yes. kind of almost mm. like, she can she can almost sort of like, uh, just be, be kind of like the. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. Like she just wants to just be feminine and and be like yes. the, the feminine part of the relationship, and 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 she just she just wants to find the right person. Who will like uh, allow her to be that way, you know? And then, and then what happens after that is that when he becomes imbued with fly power, um, <laughs> he he starts to to uh, he starts to abuse her. He starts to mm-hmm. uh, treat her cruelly. That just that that happens so often in, in relationships where like when when the when you finally get what you want, you start to abuse what you got, and and uh, and it's 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 almost like just human nature or something like that. That's something that Cronenberg just does very well in almost every single one of his films. And it's also another, another, another point that could be brought up is that when somebody has never really had power before, and all of a sudden they're given all the power in the world, they're bound to abuse it. They, they have yeah. no temperament, you know, they have no tempering of the power. Uh, so then um, finally, like he, he just kicks her out of it. You know, fuck you, you know, you're, uh, you're too, you're too weak to, to be with me. You know, I'm, I'm going to go Chicken hang out shit, with, this, right? with this weird. Yeah. 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 I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go hang out with this weird lady. I brought home from the bar that only has a jean jacket, no bra on, you know? Yeah. Well, that, you know, then, um, as you do. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, finally, like, you know, his, his, uh, at the point where he's, he's literally physically falling apart. Finally, he doesn't have anywhere, anywhere else to turn to. And, uh, and he comes crawling back to her and just, whatever it is you know like i mean maybe it's just because they're she really she really was in love with him and she really still is in love with him probably and she understands that it's not his fault it's it's it, ha- it has to do with with um just this experiment that's gone wrong he's sick right so she ends up um going back to him and and just beholding the the utter terror that that is is behind that door right and then this is my favorite part uh it turns out that it's actually Stathis, that fucking scumbag, who actually is the one who has her best interest in mind. He, he's actually the one who, who sticks with her. Yep. And and that, this is 
this is something that you don't see like in a modern movie that guy would just be framed as a sexist pig and he would not be granted the the uh uh the possibility of redemption in any way but in the fly it's like you know sometimes it's that fucking guy it's messy who, who has who has your your best interest in mind he's going to take you uh to get that abortion that you need and he's going to be the one who goes goes to that guy's goes to that guy's weird fly layer to save you after he abducts you, you know, and, and, and ultimately too, like, uh, uh, Brundle's ultimate goal at the end of the film is just to, I mean, he talks about how he wants to be a family in one body and stuff, but really all he's trying to do is just save his own ass. He just wants to, to maintain his humanity at, at the cost of his, of, of Gina Davis and also at the cost of the unborn child. And it's, um, and it's, it's, it's fucking Stathis who, who's, who comes in, and it's Stathis who shoots the the shotgun that destroys that that table that ultimately leads to uh, Jeff Goldblum being fused to the to the whatchamacallit, to the telepod. Anyway, that's my uh, that's my emotional analysis of uh, of the fly, and that's that's pretty much like uh, I mean that's just such an awesome uh, character story, you know. Another thing too, just just allow, like oh, while I wrap up this fucking long winded uh, explanation is um is uh there's never a moment in that in that entire movie where there's more than there's more than like four people on screen it's like a play it is like a play oh that's such a good way to think to to say like to think about it i hadn't thought about it like that but it is like a play huh but i love what you said about um gina davis's character because i was really i'm a I'm obsessed with her character i love her and i love what you said about her being this like very guarded kind of like figure who needs to protect herself all the time and then finally find someone where she can like be herself and be comfortable and actually fully relax like she says these like sweet things to him about and like you know where he talks to Eddie about the flesh and like says all these things where it's like earlier she was so guarded when Stathis is in her apartment and she's like I'm lazy and, f- and like I'm fucking lazy and um disorganized which was a mood um but like she's just <laughs> so guarded and so like kind of angry and always ready to fight a lot like in the beginning mm-hmm. yeah well it probably goes with the territory being like a, a journalist like being like a, a female, female journalist, journalist. sort of like the, yeah and sort of the you don't know anything sector. about that do you mary beth <laughs> don't know anything about being a female journalist and being treated like a lesser being at all um <clears throat> maybe that's why i like her so much but also like that trajectory of an abusive relationship as well like i have been in like pretty abusive relationships where the person starts off being really kind and sweet and then they turn into something that they're not and you stay because you're like well you know that's the person and like what am i gonna do what's gonna happen if i leave i should just stay and then you stay and things don't get better um and it's just like that story to me was so deeply affecting and it's a story about a woman with the, who's like in love with the guy swinging to a fly like that again like it's just so like it, it's amazing how Cronenberg can take these like outlandish topics and make them so meaningful because like I also as a as a woman like I have not myself had an abortion but you never see abortion talked about so plainly I feel like in movies mm-hmm. no one says the word abortion everyone is a little it's like it's like tiptoed around a lot of the time and she just straight, take, straight up goes take that back to 1986 though you know like I mean exactly that, the fact that, that that's that, that's not just that's just not just uncommon that's 
That's unheard. straight up unheard of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like she – they are, are actively spending – it's like a good part of the plot is her going to get an abortion because she wants to have control over her own body. And then he fucking takes her out of the abortion clinic because – sorry. <laughs> but like it's just <laughs> – it is such a fantastic film about bodily autonomy, both with like female bodily autonomy, and then also I know Terry, you wanted to talk about this in general. It's not just about her having control over her own, her own like reproductive health and repro- like reproductive system and like what is right for her. There's also the bodily autonomy aspect that goes into the whole teleportation device and like what that mm-hmm. into- that means. Then Terry, I know you wanted to talk about that, but like. It was just something that popped out of me where it's like, yeah, because, you know, the whole – towards the end of the, the the film, it's about her wanting to make a decision. And then at the beginning, Stathis is like against – he's like, well, let's wait a few days. And as if he has control over what she wants to do. And then, of course, you know, Seth kidnaps her to stop the abortion from happening. So there's that aspect of it. But then it's also the entire film is about Seth struggling with the fact that he has no autonomy over his own body. It is going to do what it wants to do. And his mind is still there. It was, that's a choice that I really liked that that apparently Cronenberg changed from the original script is to keep him as uh, you know intelligent and as like talkative as possible throughout the movie oh. because he has his mind, but his body is rebelling against him in the same way that they are not allowing – uh, Veronica to have autonomy over her body, and it's just gonna, an interesting dynamic. I'm gonna I'm gonna defend Stathis, uh because you said that he he said let's wait a few days. In fact, he just said because it's late at night. It's like it's like you know in the wee hours of the morning, and he says, uh, "Well, you know, we can't do it now. Let, let's let's wait till like tomorrow, right?" And she goes, yeah. "She goes, no, I want it now, now, now." And then what does he do? He makes it happen now, now, now. Sure. Right? So I mean, so you can't. You can't talk about him trying to be controlling at that point. I think he was entirely in, in her corner at, at that point of the film, you know? Um, and then also, I, I have to also consider the perspective of, of, uh, of uh, Brundle b- breaking in and, and stealing the baby. Because, like, from his, like, I mean, from his perspective of, like, sort of this existential idea of just, come, like, slowly becoming less and less human, uh, you know, in his mind, maybe it's kind of just, like, the only, the only thing left of me that that could possibly be human because because there's no guarantee that like um there's no guarantee that the that the child is is going to be all flied out right it could just be it could be a human baby so he his, he's kind of thinking of it as like this is the only thing the only thing left of me human uh that that there is you know i mean i, I can i don't i'm not saying that it's it's correct but i can at least sort of relate not relate, but I, I can identify, I can, I can sympathize. I can empathize with, with that perspective. Well, I think that's what Cronenberg does really well though, is, is sort of add that nuance. I mean, we were talking about how, like, like you mentioned earlier that Stathis would be in a movie today, he would be sort of like the, the, you know, mustache twirling villain. And by the end of it, there is more nuance to his character. And I think they're probably that Cronenberg adds so much nuance to what is happening here that we can sympathize with everyone involved in, in different ways. Well, because then, then, you know, Brundle has that monologue after he grabs her. He's like, it's the only thing that's left of me. Like, it's me. It's not even like, it's like, it's so heartbreaking because he's like, that's all that's left of who I am. And she's like, I cannot yeah. do this. And he's just like, mm-hmm. It's just so, and that was so fucking sad. It's just like, you can see the desperation. And like, you know, 
he steals her out, which is like, you know, I think has a lot to do with, with talking about like bodily autonomy. But I all like we said, Cronenberg is like not just saying like it's not just one message. It's just like it's a whole bunch of really like complicated things all smashed together where you're sitting there like, I don't what what the fuck are you supposed to even do in this situation? <laughs> like, I don't know. No one knows. There's like no way to know what to do. And it's just so heartbreaking watching everyone trying to just figure their shit out while this is happening, but they just cannot comprehend what's going on that they don't know what to do yeah ultimately like what it comes down to is uh brundle has to decide you know do i do i choose between her or do i choose between what's left of me and ultimately he he decides that choosing what's left of me is more important than her so that that's where he Mm. solidifies his place as as the being in the wrong and uh and that's where we can that's where we can kind of view him as as the villain but then um you know, it, it, it's hard. It's hard for us to. It's hard for us, and it's also hard for uh, for Veronica to uh, to put that shotgun to his head and blow his head off mm. at the end as well. You know, because it's not. It's it's definitely not an ideal situation. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, nah. no, it's not. Nah. You know, one thing that that I started thinking about as I was watching it this time that I kind of clued in on is this this kind of the oh, way the movie oh, explores. Sorry, Terry. Let, before you before you get on this, uh, I should also mention too. That in the end, she it's she's still the, the the credits roll with without her with with her still pregnant, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it, then at that point, it's just kind of like what decision what decision will she make, you know? Uh, so so that it it really does sort of speak to the nuance of, of David Cronenberg to kind of like uh, you know leaving that leaving that choice uh, up in the air and and not really sort of saying what, what what is the right thing to do uh which which is uh i think kind of kind of brave and kind of like uh interesting from from a filmmaker's perspective but i i cut you off please continue well i was just thinking that what what i kind of clued in on this time was this the way that the film kind of explores what what identity is and what it means to be yourself because i was in the movie does a lot of really good early uh, an early establishment of Seth kind of going through the same routine every day before he meets Veronica, you know, he's wearing the same suit every day. He's, you know, he knows where he's going to go eat. He knows his routine. So he doesn't have to think about it. So in effect, he's sort of like almost a clone of himself every single day. And then when he's creating this device and he's explaining it to Veronica, he talks about how the device kind of disintegrates someone and then recreates it based on the computer, which makes me wonder is like, so is, is Seth really Seth at that point? Or is he kind of a clone that has been created of him and what part of him is real and what part of him is really himself. And I did just something that like I was starting to think about and my mind was just going in a million places as I was contemplating that in terms of what the movie is exploring with that. That fucked me up mm. a ton watching this. Like I, one of my first things when he said that, like, Oh, it disintegrates it and re and re puts it like puts it back together. And I'm like, well, what happens to the original part of you? If it like is recreating mm-hmm. it. And I got into my head about like, again, identity, who are you? Are you actually you? Like, how do your memories get trained? Like, it was just like, I got really into my own brain about that whole idea of like, and especially when she goes with the steak, when she eats the steak and said, it tastes synthetic. Mm-hmm. So obviously something is lost in translation. So you're not entirely, it's not entirely itself. And yeah, like, and you know, you, we don't necessarily know what happens if Seth did it without the um the fly in there. But again, like it's this, it's this thing that's like, what is lost in translation and is it worth it? Like, what do you, what part of yourself do you lose 
in that whole process. And that was just like, got, I really got into my own head about that. Like, I, I got into my head with, with that kind of thing with like time travel too, with like fucking with like all of that, like on that level. It's just very. Well, he also lot. makes the, the line that was a slogan for Memorex. He's like, is it live or is it Memorex? So is it like a real thing or is it a copy of a thing? Yeah. Is it just data that is being kept on a disc? And, and, you know, and so it's that aspect of it that was really like, I really latched onto on this rewatch that I'd never even really thought about before. There's so many like little ways you could look at this, at this movie. It's, it's fascinating. I always wondered what that steak tasted like. Right. right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, do you think it tastes? Do you think it kind of tasted like, uh, like kind of like just like flavor, like just a, a piece of like fl- unflavored gelatin or something? Like well, it, like it, re- it reminded me watching this. I don't know if you guys have ever watched this, but there's a there was a TV show called Better Off Ted, and it was kind of like a, a satire of kind of these big corporations that that say they're doing good things for people and don't. And one of the things they wanted to make was sort of a meatless meat, a product that wasn't, that was meat, but wasn't made from meat. And when they they have like a taste tester and he eats it and it's, it's like this big glob of like meat cells. And he's like, what does it taste like? He's like despair. And so that's what I imagine that steak tasting like when I think about it, when I was watching it this time, that was like in the forefront of my mind. <laughs> yeah. Despair. I guess they, um, the, 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 the what do you call it? Telepods or um, like, I mean, the, the way you take it is kind of like it destroys you and then it rebuilds like a new one or, or cause I, I guess like I take it kind of like the, tr- I guess, hold on. Is the transporter in Star Trek work that way too? Like, does it destroy you and then it makes a new one? Like, so like, that's why uh, McCoy never takes the, the transporter because he's, he's a doctor. So he's like, Oh, I'll rather take the shuttlecraft or whatever, you know, like, is that kind of the, uh, is that, is that how it works? Is that, cause I'm, I'm taking like the, from the, the, internal logic of the film it's like it it dematerializes you turns you into just like energy and then reassembles you so it's like it's still the same essential parts it's just that uh i guess whatever you know it, it's not real. There was another. <laughs> it's not <laughs> you know and so i was looking at the oh, go ahead. oh sorry i was thinking of another thing not like I think the giant. Never mind. We don't have to. I was thinking about another another let's, similar story that has like some. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, ignore let's, me. Let's talk about the giant. No. Let's talk about the giant. <laughs> Just kidding. Never mind. We got, we got we got we got ten minutes left. We could talk about the giant. <laughs> you ever did you ever read that, Terry? No. You didn't read okay, the, the, by well, Stephen King the short story. The jaunt? Yeah, oh, you should good. you should read it. It's fu- it's fucked up. Anyway, I've I've never really read many of Stephen King's like short stories. I, I'm not I'm not a huge short story fan. I'm more of a okay. It's a give good a feature length. It's a good one. But anyway, yeah, you, can, you can actually you can actually on YouTube just find that like as an audio book and it, it'll only oh, really? take about only take about ninety minutes out of your life and it's it's really good. It's really uh, an interesting sort of uh, cont- uh, contemplation of the teleportation and sort of the sort of a, a couple different maybe like socio-political implications of it and then also sort of like the, the physiological implication of like what it mm. would mean etc but uh it's it's a horror story and it, it ends on a really really wild almost like uh what's that shit that shit, uh uh cosmic horror uh, yeah. sort of end yeah okay um but it's, t- it's pretty tight anyhow uh what else we got? What else are we talking about? Well, so one of the things that it really popped in my mind watching it this time, and I and I went and I looked it up, and this was not intentional, but watching this now, especially I guess as as a gay man looking back at that at that era, I got a really huge AIDS metaphor for this in terms of like the way the body would 
because you know even though it's not sex that caused it it was after he had sex that ends up and he ends up like falling in love and having a relationship talking about flesh and that sort of the craziness that comes from flesh is when he goes in the machine out of jealousy and gets it and then there's so much like i don't know seminal like imagery in this you know everything about him is all fluidy and white and stuff and it's the idea of the body like kind of turning a yes vomiting up and like him his fingers when he's grabbing the guy's hand and he's gonna break it there's like white goo pouring out of it there's like so much white goo in this in this movie and between that and the idea of like your body kind of turning against you it's just sort of like i i saw a huge aids metaphor in this even though Cronenberg, I found a quote from him that talks about how if you or your lover has AIDS, you watch the film and of course you'll see AIDS in it. Um, and he's like, and that's not to say that AIDS didn't have an incredible impact on everyone. Of course, after a certain point, people are seeing AIDS stories everywhere. He's like, so I don't take offense that people saw that in my movie. But for him, there was something more about universal and aging and death and something we all have to deal with. But like, I don't know, looking back on it now and, and, and seeing that kind of era, it's, it's hard for me not to see sort of that aspect of it. Yeah, I, I, uh, I get that a lot with um, like with the sadness people when I do like Q and A's and stuff or, or interviews and stuff, people will always uh, talk to me. They're, they're always like, so, you know, did you uh, intend for it, this to be an, like an allegory about sort of Taiwan's relationship with China? And I'm just like, mm. nope, not, not even, a, not even a little bit. And, and they, I always get sort of, you know, did, were you like an, an American crowd will be kind of like, so the virus, it, it, it essentially separates people. It, it like divides people. So like, were you, were you conscious of the fact that you were like creating like a, like a, a virus that would like makes people uh, hate, like hateful of, of, of each other and, and unable to communicate or, or, or something like, you know what I mean? Like sort of the, mm-hmm. uh, like sort of po- vaccine politics or just pandemic politics. And I was just like, Nope, I, I wrote this way before any of those things sort of happened. So it, it really is. It really, really, uh, speaks to sort of the the truth of um, you you bring your own you bring your own crayons to the coloring book you know yeah I, I understand sort of because um, I mean the the the, the union of a, of a fly and uh, and a man that that could be perceived and I believe it's even alluded to in the in the film he goes like uh, we don't you know he didn't even take me out for dinner or he said something right. like that he's like it's sort of like he he's had sex with a fly or he's had sort of like a like a intimate union with a fly mm-hmm. and then uh, and then oh look what happens you know this this uh uh this this falling apart of uh this sort of progressive loss of integrity of, of the body um i mean I, I i can think of a lot of things that uh you know get called an aids allegory that are that are way less uh on the nose than, than the fly right. like I, I but but at the same time i mean if the and here's another thing too i mean uh, if, if David Cronenberg, um, if he says that he didn't intend to, I mean, we got to take him for his word. However, it's impossible to make something in a time and and not have it um, be somewhat representative of the time that it's made in. You yeah. Know? Like it, yep. Just that that stuff just just comes in no matter what, no matter how hard you try, that stuff comes in because it's just part of how you think at that time. Yeah. Unless you're completely, you know, shut off like the Unabomber and you're just kind of living in a cabin. Right. Well, it's just interesting thinking about that. And just like, I spend like, I was like, I'm a horror academic first and foremost. And I spent, I've spent most of my time and a lot of my money and grad school (laughs) on like putting a lot of like applying con, like applying my own, like like an academic, what personal lens to things. 
And it's just so interesting to think about, like, I have, like, written so many words about so many different things. And, like, I don't the, – the, the, the director is probably like, oh, I never fucking thought about that when I made the movie, but that's cool as hell. Like, it's so – it's just interesting to think about that relationship between, like, the filmmaker and their text versus what other people perceive it. That's such a fascinating thing. I don't, I've never made a film, so I'm not, I'm coming from the academic writer perspective of the whole thing, but it is really cool and fascinating to see what people pull out of stuff. Well, that's what makes mm-hmm. art art, right? Yeah, it's just neat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I bet people like, um, you know, uh, I, I really need to start getting better at like doing Q and A's and interviews and stuff because like, I kind of come off as just sort of this like, like loopy, loopy bro, you know? Uh, and, and people like are, are often disappointed when because they, they watch the sadness and they kind of get in their idea that it's going to be like this, uh, you know, for, first of all, it's going to be a Taiwanese guy and it's going to be like, uh, you know, and it's going to be some guy who's like, you know, like, you know, well, let me tell you about my, my film that I made. I meant like, I'm all like, very, <laughs> very severe about like, my, like the, the film and like all this stuff really like, you know, sorry to disappoint everybody, but like, I'm just sort of like this Canadian guy who ended up in Taiwan and, um, just have a, a real uh, a real fetish for gore and also um i i also have a, a real love of, of horror and sort of the the uh mechanical construct of, of like of sort of the action horror situation and um all of all of the things in the sadness really are in service of like the terror and sort of just uh, eliciting an, an, a reaction from the audience and the the only the only sort of subtext or things beyond what's what's uh surface surface level uh is just that i wanted to make a film where like people who are kind of uh maybe maybe feel like society has failed them like sort of incel energy type people people who are who just don't seem to get along with other people and just aren't able to sort of form meaningful relationships friendship or, or romantic or otherwise um they they finally there's a, a virus that finally comes and all of a sudden the world is theirs you know and mm. it, like, the, this world turns in this world turns into just this uh, place just full of hate and and uh, destruction and uh, and then what happens is um, they find meaning in that they find meaning and purpose in that conversely a well-adjusted couple who seems to be functioning adequately and and healthily in in, in society their life completely is destroyed and so it's this sort of um dark kind of revenge of the nerds situation yeah. maybe and maybe that's just sort of why it feels it feels so ugly why, why the film feels sort of sort of ugly the way it does and also mean-spirited because that's kind of the 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 energy i think that, it, that it's tapping into and, it, and it's um there's no justice in the film everybody there is a little bit of justice like molly gets her justice uh and uh you know, cat gets her justice in the end, maybe, maybe, but um, uh, it, it, it's mostly just unfair and it's sort of sad. Yeah, the sadness. The sadness. The sadness. Um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on with the fly, or do we want to wrap this up and give it our rating out of five? Oh, um, let's do that. All right, cool. Um, all right, Terry, how many maggot babies out of five do you give the fly? <laughs> I mean, there's no beating around the bush for this. This is a five maggot baby movie for me. I've loved this movie since I was a kid. And it's one of those movies where at different points in my life, I'm picking up new things. And every time I've, I've watched this movie, I don't know, a couple dozen times. And every single time I watch it, I, I, I focus on something new. And I think that that's what's so great about this film. It's a commercial 
Cronenberg movie that doesn't sacrifice his weirdness and doesn't sacrifice the the gore and instead kind of brings it up into I mean I went watching it this time it was kind of nostalgic a little bit but to see the 20th century dun, 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 you know and I'm like yeah this is a studio movie that is that has a fucking maggot baby and yes it's a dream but there's a fucking maggot baby in this and there's a, a penis in a a fucking medicine cabinet and this guy's fingers are coming off I mean this movie is like I can't believe it got made and I'm so happy that it did. And I just, I think it's a classic. I think it is perfect. I wouldn't change a single thing about this movie. What about you, Mary Beth? Um, I think I also give it five maggot babies. I really, I wasn't even four and a half. Cause <laughs> I really ha- hated Stathis like with a fiery passion. And I was really annoyed that he ended up being the hero at the end, but <laughs> in us discussing it, I kind of get it a little bit. I'm a little less annoyed and I, it's like a little bit more. Okay. Like, thinking it through a little bit more like you know so i've changed my mind i'm still annoyed but i appreciate it <laughs> and so i will give this five maggot babies because everything you said terry plus what i also really loved is that this wasn't a movie that was trying to give you like the life story of seth brundle and like his whole scientific like history he wasn't trying to give you some tragic backstory about gina davis's character like it's very tight Everything you need to know about the characters mm-hmm. is done through performances and, like, through their personalities. And, yeah, there are some, like, tidbits kind of given, like, about their past. But it's not ever trying to really make these characters, and like, tell their whole life story. It's about them there and now. And I really loved how successful that was. On top of how sad it made me. And on top of how romantic it is. Just a lot of things I wasn't expecting, and it's just like blew my expectations out of the water. I knew it was going to be good. I don't think I was going to. I didn't. I did not think I could love it as much as I did, um, which is incredible. So five maggot babies out of five for me. Um, okay, Rob, you have the final right. word. How many maggot babies out of five oh, yeah. are you giving the play? I think we know, uh, but well, it, I, yeah, I, I give it five because I already told you it's it's like probably my favorite. Uh, Probably my favorite horror movie. Maybe not my favorite movie. My favorite movie, like I said earlier. Although it depends on sort of the given day. Um, I, I I think that um, yeah, like I, just to, to what you were saying before, like I understand what you mean when it's like he's kind of set up as this this jerk off who thinks he kind of has control over this woman, uh, and then uh, and then he kind of fights to fights her for control, uh, and but then eventually he kind of just. He surrenders to her, and, and remember what he says. He says, "I just, I just don't want you. I just don't want you out of my life." You know, he kind of appeals to her, mm-hmm. and and then uh, and that she kind of res- maybe respects him, maybe for being honest or something. And then at the end, uh, he's not the hero because he, in fact, he gets he gets his fucking hand vomited <laughs> off, and he gets his like his uh, foot uh, melted off at the ankle, right? So like, um, he's that's not terribly heroic. But the one thing that that we can say in his defense is that he was ride or die for her. Like he was, he was on her side at, to, like at that point when she goes back to him, he's on her side a hundred percent. And, uh, and he fights for her, you know, like against all odds against the, the weird fly dude. And uh, you know what? I'm, I'm, I've just, a, I'm a big, I'm a big fan for the unpopular redemption arc. And I, and I think the more, the more terrible thing that someone does to someone. And then sort of, if you through film can kind of create a uh, satisfying redemption arc, this also, Terry, happens, I believe, in Titan. I think Titan is all about mm-hmm. this, sort of this redemption arc. Um, I think that that's just a, a story that is, uh, I find to be very satisfying. I find I find to be satisfying because it's, it's a challenging story to tell, to kind of make an audience 
really hate someone and then kind of win them back. Although I, I you know, in, in your case, Mary Beth, it, it took it took us having this talk to to, to win you back. So you know, I've also know. known a few too many I, creepy guys I, might have something to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, all, all I gotta do is look in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, oh but, um, man. Um, it, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I really I really liked having this talk. I think it's it's fun. I think it's fun to talk about the fly. Hell yeah, it is. It's fun to talk about the fly. On that note, thank you so much, Rob, for joining us to talk about the fly and the sadness. Where can our listeners find you? And what do you have that you'd like to share? Do you have any news on where the sadness is going to play next or anything like that? Um, well, as of as of the date of this recording, uh, the sadness will play um, in a lot of places in, in Europe. Uh, it'll play at the, the Torino uh, T.O. Horror Festival. Uh, it'll play in um, uh, Sitges in, in, in Spain. <laughs> I don't know that you have too many like like listeners that, that are Italian or Spanish. They're I have probably, a couple. Uh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so so those are the two places for those people. Um, it'll also play in uh, Berlin at, at uh, the uh, some sort of fantasy fest, which I can't remember the name of, and then also, but you can look it up. I don't know, just just type in the sadness and find it in, at your local festival because we're still on the festival street. I'll be going to Telluride, Colorado for uh-huh, the Telluride yeah. Horror Show, mm-hmm. uh, which is which I'm looking forward to. A whole lot because it's a uh, great town looks beautiful. It's a great festival. It's a. I've been. That was my very first festival in 2018, and it was fabulous. You're gonna have a great time there. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I I know a few filmmakers that are that are going to that one, and like not not many others over the year. So I'm excited to kind of link up. I'm really enjoying like meeting like other filmmakers and and kind of you know and and kind of being able to come at them because I've always been a fan. So it's nice mm-hmm. to sort of being able to come at them as a contemporary and be kind of like like Hey, I like your work. Hey, I like yours too. You know, it's kind of a, a a cool sort of like I've arrived. I can I can talk to filmmakers like that. Cool. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. So if, if you want to find me though, my name is Rob Jabaz, R O B J A B B A Z, and uh, I'm the only person in the whole world who has that name. So just like <laughs> Google it. I, I'm I'm pretty active on Instagram. So just like um, if, if you want to, if y'all want to add me on Instagram, then uh, you know I uh, I'll I post stuff. Cool. Hell yeah. Um, so you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience with the fly? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGeely Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please, if you're listening on iTunes, just go give us a little rating and review. It really helps. Please. Um, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thanks everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. Most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. 
If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.